Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. Two author interviews, five book reviews. How are you all doing? Are you all right? Well, gosh. So today, yes, I need to talk to you about raisins, basically, because I was going on a bit of a health kick and found some granola. I do like granola, but you can't get very healthy granola. Well, I found a bag of healthy granola. Overjoyed I was. Got got it out this morning, poured it in the bowl. Turns out it's healthy because it's it's almost pure raisins. I was there pulling out all these raisins like I was fishing for treasure. And by the time I'd removed all possible raisins, there were just a couple of grains left. That's not granola. That's raisins. If I wanted a bag of raisins, I'd go and buy a bag of raisins. I wanted granola. So, yes, unhappy of Shropshire here, but never mind. But what I am happy about are the books I have to talk to you about today. There are some crackers and I can't wait to tell you all about them. Before we get started, I just need to thank you so much for the amazing Apple iTunes reviews you've done. Thank you. You're all stars. I'm going to thank you even more at the end of this episode. And also we'll then look at what the Facebook group are reading too. So, what books am I going to talk to you about today? I've got some stunners. We've got the wonderful crime book Desert Star by Michael Connolly and Michael's going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then Louise Hare comes on to answer five questions in five minutes about her latest book, Miss Aldridge Regrets. We've got the oh, quite a dark, sort of thrillery, crimey book by Fiona Cummins, her latest one, Into the Dark. We've got The Winter Ghost by Kate Moss. Do you remember Kate? came on and she was talking about this book as one to consider and finally we've got Persuasion obviously by Jane Austen but actually this is with a difference and it's part of the awesomely Austen range possibly for slightly younger readers but anyway more on that later so let's get stuck in straight away to Desert Star by Michael Connolly if you've been listening to this podcast for a while you will know how much I adore Michael Connolly's books, I just think they're exceptional, full of characters, brilliantly written, just have me turning the pages and I do enjoy the audiobooks as well. Now, this one in particular, let's get the blurb for this. Detective Rene Ballard is given the chance of a lifetime, revive the LAPD's cold case unit and find justice for the families of the forgotten. The only catch is they must first crack the unsolved murder of the sister of the city councilman who is sponsoring the department, 
or lose everything. Harry Bosch is top of the list of investigators Ballard wants to recruit. The former homicide detective is a living legend. But for how long? Because Bosch has his own agenda, a crime that has haunted him for years. The murder of a whole family buried out in the desert, which he vowed to close. With the killer still out there and evidence elusive, Bosch is on a collision course with a choice he hoped never to make. And then let's do first sentences. Part one, the library of lost souls. In fact, I'm not just going to do the first sentence or few sentences. You're getting a big chunk of page one. Bosch had the pills lined up on the table ready to go. He was pouring water from the bottle into the glass when the doorbell rang. He sat at the table thinking he would let it go. His daughter had a key and never knocked and he wasn't expecting anyone. It had to be a solicitor or a neighbour and he didn't know any of his neighbours anymore. The neighbourhood seemed to change over every few years and after more than three decades of it, he had stopped meeting and greeting newcomers. He actually enjoyed being the cranky old ex-cop in the neighbourhood whom people were afraid to approach. But then the second ring was accompanied by a voice calling his name. It was a voice he recognised. I love this book. I enjoyed this book so much. It, uh, As with all the books, it just kept me gripped. You just just get this book and read it and love it. The twists and the turns, the revelations, it kept me gripped all the time. There's just never a dud with these books. They're exceptional and uh, I enjoy reading them. And I just, it's such an honour to be able to interview Michael Connolly himself. So without further ado, let's go and speak to Michael Connolly about this brilliant book. It is my absolute honour to welcome Michael Connolly, whose latest book is Desert Star, to the podcast. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for having me. It, it's wonderful to talk to you. I mean, let's just get stuck in straight away to this, this book. It's a, a Bosch-Ballard combo, such a strong combination of characters. When you come to write a book now, how are you deciding which of the sort of main characters we hear about that you actually use? I think, you know, it's weird. It's just something that's, I guess, instinctive. You know, I don't really spend a lot of time saying who, you know, I have a few characters I like to go back to. Um, I think a through line of almost everything I do is Harry Bosch. And so he seems to come up mm. the quickest. And, and, you know, I've aged Bosch in real time. Um, and so he's up there in years. And so there's a little bit of me thinking, you know, if I want to continue to be realistic about him and about the series and about the world, um, my time is limited with him. And um, I, I found this way of uh, keeping him going in a way by pairing him with Ballard because she's much younger. She has a badge. She has authority. And so if I can find legitimate ways that they cross paths and end up working together, then, hey, that's another another Bosch book I can write. And so, you know, it all depends on where I am. I've been doing this for about 30 years. So, you know, back in 20 years ago, I, I think I had a kind of a wider spread of what do I do next. With Harry Bosch, in at you know, I've said in the books he was born in 1950, so this year he's 72 years old. So I want to mm-hmm. – so he really is front of mind – when I'm deciding what to do. And then the next step is, what do I do with him that that's realistic, that I can get him involved in a case and using his skills? And you certainly do with this one. I mean, I love the combination of Bosch and Ballard. They're so different, 
in character and yet they share similar values in in a way and their sort of ethic did you always plan I mean you've mentioned about the the decision to bring Ballard in but did you plan that from very early on or just as the success of Bosch uh, kept going you know, I, I, I guess I should say, yeah, I planned it all because that makes me look really smart. Yes. But, you know, I was inspired to write the first Ballard book and Bosch was not in it by, uh, she's very much based on a true life detective, I know. And, you know, so that's what, that's where it started. I, this was a detective named Missy Roberts who's been helping me with my books, Bosch books, all my books for a number of years. And then I somehow, it escaped me for a number of years, but then I finally realized I should be writing about someone like her because I have her here to help me. You know, no, nothing beats having a living research subject that you can just ask any question of, you know, at, at any time, you know, fire off texts, fire off phone calls, whatever. Um, and so it was kind of like a writer's thing. I need to do this. And so then Boward was born, and then it was after that book I I realized she can fit into the world that I've been doing with other books, where Bosch kind of commingles with Lincoln Lawyer and other characters and so forth. So she was brought in, um, or they were brought together for that purpose, but it wasn't like I had this master plan when I was writing that first Ballard book. But I love that. So if you're sitting there thinking, oh, you know, what... What biscuit would Ballard choose? Do you just phone your friend up and say, oh, well, just, just come round for a coffee and present a, a plate of different biscuits and look for what she chooses? Yeah, we have a lot of breakfasts together, put it, put it that way. But she, um, the real detective, Detective Roberts, has also been a consultant on the TV show, Bosch, Bosch TV show. So she's been on sets and so forth and come to the writing room. So uh, frequently it would work that she'd be doing some kind of Bosch TV business. And I'd say, oh, by the way, in the book I'm writing, um, I have Boward in this situation, any advice, that kind of thing. And, uh, and then the, probably the biggest and most helpful thing she does is read early drafts. And then I get, get notes, very detailed notes back from her. She'll take about two weeks and will come back with lots of great notes. And a lot of them are like, I wouldn't say it this way. This is how I would say it, you know, to my boss or to a victim or to a suspect. And I get, you know, realistic dialogue from someone who does it in real life every day. So um, that's invaluable. The, the uh, uh, I don't know what you call them, read-throughs or edits of, uh, of my first drafts. Gosh, so not only does she have to ask permission to go on holiday in the police force, does she also have to check with you? <laughs> No, no. I mean, you know, I don't want to be that intrusive. Um, and so a few times I texted and then I didn't hear back for, like this happened uh, um, like less than a month ago. I t just fired off a very minor text. Like, uh, I can't even remember what the question was, but it was pretty basic for her. And she didn't answer for like eight hours. And then she answered me in the middle of the night. So I knew, okay, where are you? And so I, that was the next question and she was in Ireland. So um, you know, that kind of stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> and this book is particularly about cold cases. Can you tell us more about the whole sort of concept for it? Yeah, I mean, again, it's, a, it's a, not the creative genius um, some people think I am. Uh, so Mitzi Roberts, the real detective, told me that she just got uh, reassigned and she was put in charge of rebooting the cold case squad. So here in L.A., 
Uh, a new chief came in about, uh, I think it was about three or four years ago, and he had a mandate to put more people, more police officers on the street. And so he trimmed a lot of the, uh, specialized units, and including, and he basically killed the cold case unit that had 16 detectives in it at one time and um, said, I just want, I think the city's better off with 16 people in uniform on the street, 16 more, that kind of philosophy. And um, then after a while, um, there's, a, there's a growing, I guess, fad is a weird word to say in law enforcement, but a lot of law enforcement agencies that are cash-strapped budget-wise and so forth and also want more people on the street, more sworn officers, they started um, having volunteer cold case squads because there's a lot of detectives out there who are retired but still have some skills and still want to carry out their missions and so forth. And so a lot of departments have uh, almost full, fully volunteer cold case units. And so the chief here in LAPD did that. He said he, he, he kind of went to Missy Roberts and said, I have good news and bad news. I'm restarting the cold case unit, and you're in charge of it. Uh, the bad news is you're the only person in the cold case squad, and you have to get put together a team of uh, volunteers that want to do this, um, you know, on a part-time basis. I think they get paid $50 a month. And uh, and when she told me all that, it's like, I'm, I'm, no, I'm nobody's fool. I know that's a story. That is a, a good way. I mean, cold case books and novels and all that have been around a long time. I've wrote a bunch of them. But this is a refreshing new take on it, and I knew I could put in some oddball characters, some mysterious characters, some dedicated characters, and I could, and most of all, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a way of getting Harry Bosch more official, not kind of floating out there and having things come his way, but he could have a desk, he could, he doesn't necessarily have to have a badge or a gun anymore, but he can be officially right working on homicides, so that's where all this came together. And in terms of those who are listening to this and want to read but just don't know where to start, uh, I mean, you've written, what, 35 novels, you've got the TV series, the true crime podcast as well. It's incredible. In terms of which book, I feel that the way you write, they could just pick up any book. You know, they could, get, they could read Desert Star and care enough about the characters and be bought, caught up in the story to then want to go back and start at the beginning or do you have a preferred starting point no i kind of agree with you um you know harry bosch is connected and and if you start in the middle of the series you might miss something but it, it's not going to be like a a big problem um i think the series goes forward and backwards pretty well and i try to make the books you know stand stand by themselves and then you have the other factor that I think I'm better at this now than I was 30 years ago because I've, I've learned a lot and I've written many more millions more words and the more you do something, the better you get at it or at least that's the way it should be. So I would, I'm not saying you have to read this book to start out, but I would read a recent book. Um, one that uh, I think is only about, I don't know how old it is, eight years maybe, called The Wrong Side of Goodbye. I think that would be a good introduction um, to Bosch, and then if if that if that uh, is to someone to a reader's liking, then then go either way, go back, go down the ladder, or go up the ladder. Um, your your choice. And we should also mention the audiobooks because 
again, they're just, uh, they are brilliantly narrated. You know, I can read the book or listen to the audio book and still get the same feelings and uh, get caught up in the story. Yeah, I mean, one thing I really like is that um, in recent years, especially with this this, uh, collision or, or partnership, odd partnership between Bosch and Ballard, um, and the audiobooks, they each have their own narrator. A, a female um, reader does Ballard, and, and actually Titus Welver, who plays Bosch in the TV show, does mm-hmm. Bosch. And those are pretty entertaining. Um, I, I don't really like to listen to my own books, but um, I, you know, I got enough compliments that I had to check them out. And uh, it's, it's done really well the way they integrate the two, the two readers for the two characters. Yeah, some people seem to just narrate the book and others seem to act it, and it, the acting comes across with with yours, which is great. How do you decide what you're going to do on a given day because you have so many different projects going on? <laughs> is it hard to get the time to actually just write a book? Um, well, even before I had all these projects, it's always hard to write a book, in my opinion. But I am a book writer at the end of the day. The podcasts and the TV shows and all that is great but it's kind of window dressing on what I really do and that's write books so I try to keep my mornings preserved as much as possible so that every morning at least for a few hours I'm writing um, the next book and um, unless there's there's always a period of in the year where I'm between books and thinking about what the next one will be um, but for the most part almost every day I'm like writing from like 7 to 10 or 11 uh, the good news is that in Hollywood, most things don't get going. Like writing rooms for TV shows, they usually don't get going till 10 or 11. So I've been able for the last 10 years kind of hold this balance of uh, the book first every morning. And that's kind of the foundation I stand on. And then, then I'll join a, a, a writing room for a few hours um, because of the pandemic. And I've been able to... Uh, make this more of a sleek arrangement where I just kind of zoom in, you know, so I can be writing up till five minutes before I can be writing a book for up until like maybe five minutes before I join the writing room for Bosch. And is that the reporter in you as well, that you're able to just flick a switch from one to the other and, and keep the pace going in what you're doing? I guess so. I'm not sure. I haven't been a reporter in 30 some years, but um, (laughs) almost. It's there though. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you have to do keep moving as a reporter, and, and especially I was a crime reporter, so it was multiple stories a day, unrelated stories, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, but also, I'm, you know, the TV shows are, are, you know, come from the book, so I'm still in the same uh, world, so to speak. Um, obviously, things are different. Uh, I go from writing about a 72-year-old guy to writing about a guy who's much younger on the TV show. And, uh, you know, and we're in most of the time in TV shows, we're adapting books that were written a long time ago and definitely need to be contemporized, if that's the right word, but but brought up to date. So, that, so you know... It's the same, but it's different. But but it's the same enough that I can I can make that transition pretty quickly. Can I ask a question about Ballard? Now I could be completely wrong, so I'm ready for you to to tell me that. But I feel, as the books go on, she's getting stronger on her own. Her time with Bosch is making her stronger independently as well. Is that something that you're aware of, or am I completely off target? Yeah, no, I mean, I, it's funny. Um, 
with any character, you get to know them better if you, if you get the uh, wonderful opportunity to come back to characters, turn them into series characters. And so you learn more, um, you put more dimension into them, you know, and uh, I just, you know, it's not a gender thing, it's just a, it's a character thing with me. I, I want to write about characters that are really competent at what they do because I think that's a connecting point with readers. We want to read about people and know what they're doing. Um, and, you know, and then you put obstacles in front of them and, and, and make uh, the, the work difficult. But when they have experience, and which leads to competence and confidence, um, you know, that's, that really, to me, is dimensions of character that I, that I really like to uh, explore and have. And I think, you know, the same thing is with the writer behind those characters. I have more confidence in this character. I, I kind of know the you know, what I want to do with her. I kind of know um, when I'm writing like a passage or a moment that I, that I know reveals these things in her and, and that will be taken in by the reader in a very positive way. Those are great moments when you're doing them in writing, and I think they're great, great moments when you come across it as a reader. And when you're coming up with these amazing solutions to working out basically who done it and why they, they did it, are you sort of, I mean, if I came up with those solutions, I'd be cackling to myself as I was typing, thinking what an amazing thing it is that you've come up with. Are you, do, you, do you have those moments where you're just like, yes, this is, this is going to work? Yeah, I have them all the time. <laughs> I mean, that's the mystical joy of, of writing because I, I don't outline my books, so I'm just I'm kind of winging it. And, you know, I do a lot of rewriting because I winged it the wrong way or whatever. When things start to come together and, you know, into the synthesis that you've kind of set up, some, somewhat blindly, but also somewhat knowingly, you know, I'm heading towards this. Um, it's, just, it's just great. I mean, you know, I think writing a book, I, I often think of it in terms of, uh, climbing a roof, you know, you're going uphill and then eventually you reach this point where you're going, you know, you hit the top of the roof and then you start going down and it's easier. When things start coming together, uh, you just want to be at your computer all the time and, and just ride that wave, um, that downhill wave. Um, I think, you know, in this book, there's a sequence in Key West, Florida, um, where Bosch goes and Ballard follows. I, I don't think that's a big uh, spoiler. Um, that's when things start coming together, and I just, I just really love that part of writing this book. There's just, it's funny, it's a scene just in a bar where Bosch talks to a bartender, and that's probably my favorite scene in the whole book. And, you know, I wrote that in a day, and obviously I went back to it a few times to hopefully make it better. But I can still remember that day I wrote that and uh, that chapter, and uh, it just felt like this is what I'm doing, this is what, why I'm here, um, and this is what my, uh, my 30 years of doing this brings me to, um, bring, puts all the, the skills into that just conversation. Uh, which is revealing about character and history and also moves the plot along. So when, when you can have a scene that is interesting on multiple levels, then you've had a really good writing day. And will Bosch and Ballard be back for the next book? 
Um, I don't know if Ballard will. Um, I'm moving forward with a book that will have Bosch and um, the Lincoln lawyer Mickey Haller in it. Um, so yes! <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. By that. Oh, good, good. I'm excited too. I, um, I'm in the stage now where it's all in my head, and I usually start writing my novels on like the first week of December, so I'm a month away from starting to put this down on paper. But this month, the, the month that before I start actually typing it, the story is, is always a pleasurable month because I'm, I'm thinking about all these things and, and holding them together. I might take a note here or there. And in my old age, I now realize I forget a lot of good stuff. But I used to have this arrogant um, belief that if something's really good, I won't forget about it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, pu- I'm putting that together in my head um, you know, while I'm doing other stuff, working on a TV show and so forth. I just finished a script yesterday uh, with Titus Wellover for the Boss Show. Um, but yeah, so I, um, you know, Boward might walk through a, a chapter or something. Uh, you know, she's there at my uh, disposal if I need her. But but I think the main story is about uh, uh, Mickey Haller and Harry Bosch. And I'm in the stage now of, of whose book is it? Is it is it through the point of view of the Lincoln lawyer? Or is it through Bosch's point of view? Um, or is it going to alternate, which I've done. You know, I've done all these kind of permutations. And, and it's kind of a almost delicious time when you're thinking about how to do that. Because then when you start doing it and you start writing, then, then it's like, you know, uh, then it becomes work. It's all, yeah. it's all theory now. And, and, and I love thinking about theory, about what I'm going to do, you know. I'm a huge fan of Mickey, so yes, the, the more he's in, the, the, the happier I am. No pressure, of, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, we've got a few quick-fire questions for you now to see what you think. And this isn't just this one book, Desert Star. This is you with all of your books. Um, first one, fingerprints or DNA? Probably DNA because I love playing around with the idea that a lot of people think DNA is the panacea. It's the thing that... that you know, the hammer comes down. And so a lot of my books, I, I play around with DNA and, and how it can lead investigations down the wrong path and things like that. So DNA gives me a lot of, I think, liberty uh, to be creative. Um, and, you know, in, in Desert Star, DNA plays a pretty significant um, part um, and, and non-traditional, not what you expect, I think. And, and also there's also a, a palm print involved here that is also a, a big part of the story. So maybe I should have said both. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the day before publication day or the day after? The day before is always a good day because I'm usually in uh, New York and I'm probably uh, involved with someone uh, who uh, helped me with the book, like my editor, I'll have lunch and things like that. So there's always a, a good day of anticipation. Um, this day, this year, it's going to be really cool because because uh, of the pandemic, I haven't done any live book touring in three years, and, and I'm doing that for the first time. And uh, so I'm going to start in New York and uh, probably see some people that are very helpful and responsible for uh, for my career. Mm-hmm. So that would be great. That will be sig- significant. Um, lots of edits or no edits? Which do you prefer? Now that's like a question that goes to ego. I, I like I, I, I always turn in a book thinking this thing's going to sail through. This is so clean and so together. And then I get <laughs> some uh, significant editing 
but you know, thirty-seven for thirty-seven. Um, my books have gotten better in the editing process, so I do really trust the editing process, and uh, know that I feel pretty good. I don't turn in a book till I feel pretty good about it, but I also know it's actually going to be better by the time I'm done going through the editing mm. process. I'm interested, when you're not writing, do you read books to relax or are you just so, is it so much of your life involved in books anyway that you do, that you watch TV instead? Yeah, I mean, that's the sad part of my life. I, you know, I make my living on books um, and to get to that point, I, I had to be a voracious reader in the genre. But now that I do it, um, like, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. Um, it's hard for me to read a book, especially a crime novel, and not see the man or woman behind the curtain, the, you know, the writer, and, and seeing what they're doing and analyzing and all that. Very hard. It became, it became very hard. So if I really want to, like, clear my head, I will um, watch something on TV or I'll, I'll just listen to music and go for a walk or, and things like that. Um, I like to, I'm very bad at it, but I like to play golf and... Um, even though it's a lot of walking, and then you know, I think someone timed out that you actually are only swinging a club for uh, five minutes total when you play around the golf, but you have to concentrate on it to the point that everything is taken out of your head. And, and so I think that's why I like golf, because it's like three or four hours of not thinking about anything else. Is it still quite a pressure? Because, I mean, you're so successful. Our expectations of you are so high now I just wonder whether that's an acceptable pressure well thanks for the reminder <laughs> yeah sorry <laughs> no I think uh, every writer will have the same answer and that is no one puts more pressure on themselves than the writer um, you know the writer sets the, their bar and wants to raise it every time and you know I'm, I'm aware that if I write a quote unquote bad book I'll know about it from a lot of people um and not just book critics. I know about it by loyal readers that are disappointed. That is the pressure. You don't want to disappoint someone who's been riding with you for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, that's an amazing thing to have in your life. And so you do have to cherish that and, and, and work to uh, preserve it or, or, or make that um, connection even deeper. And I don't know. It's, it's a it's, it's a pressure, sure, but it's not something I can't live with or uh, I'm afraid of or, oh, my gosh, do I have to? You know, I've been able to write at least one book a year for 30 years, um, you know, and so it's not something that's debilitating or anything like that. It's it's actually I'd rather have that than not have it. Like what, what if no one cared whether I wrote a good book or not? That that would be something that would be probably more difficult to uh, to live with and, and, and be able to do this day to day. My last question is, if you could go back to when you were writing your very first book and just whisper something in your ear, is there anything that you would whisper? Uh, yeah, I, 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 when I, it's kind of like that question, like where would I direct someone to start reading my books? I, I think this kind of goes along with Harry's motto of everybody counts or nobody counts. I'd whisper every character counts. Uh, because I think in the early books, I didn't fill out ancillary characters or supporting characters um, as well as I should have or as well as I try to do now. Um, you know, so, so some of the, some of the because of that lack of depth in 
some of the characters come off as cartoonish in my early books. Some of the people who are standing in Bosch's way, they're they're kind of um, tropey and 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 not as realistic as I try to make um, the characters that stand in Bosch's way now. Um, and so that's you know that's something I had to learn. So even if uh, I w- if someone had whispered that in my ear like the future Michael Connolly whispered it in my ear, I probably would have ignored it because I, I needed to learn uh, those type of things. You know, you learn it with every book, how to do something better. Well, we love your characters. We love your books. Michael Connolly, whose latest book is Desert Star. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Coming up, another short author interview and some more book reviews. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Let's get on to Miss Aldridge's Regrets by Louise Hare. You may remember Louise came on some months ago to talk to us initially about this book. Well, she's back now to answer five questions in five minutes. But let's have a recap about that book, first of all. So it's based in London, 1936. This is is the blurb. Lena Aldridge is wondering if life has passed her by. The dazzling theatre career she hoped for hasn't worked out. Instead, she's stuck singing in a sticky-floored basement class club in Soho and her married lover has just left her. She has nothing to look forward to until a stranger offers her the chance of a lifetime. A starring role on Broadway and a first-class ticket on Queen Mary bound for New York. After a murder at the club, the timing couldn't be better and Lena jumps at the chance to escape England until death follows her onto the ship and she realises that her greatest performance has already begun. Now, I know you do like first sentences, so here we go. Wednesday, 2nd of September, Queen Mary. I stare down into the churning water, wondering how long it would take for an object to strike the surface if it fell from such a height. I had found a spot at the quieter end of the promenade deck, several stories above the fierce, white 
capped waves. Opening my hand, I let the bottle fall, holding my breath as it began to spin, almost hitting the side of the boat. I really enjoyed this book. You'll remember from last time, I thought it was just imaginative, gripping, interesting, different. You know, Louise Hare has proved she can write and she continues to do so. So, yes, let's go and listen to her answers to the five questions now. So, Louise Hare, whose latest book is Miss Aldridge Regrets, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Well, we've got five questions in five minutes, so let's see how you do. (laughs) First of all, can you summarise your book in about 30 seconds? No stopwatch, don't worry. Okay. Uh, So, it's 1936. Lena Aldridge is a jazz singer in a sleazy club. Uh, I'm wondering where it all went wrong. And she gets offered the opportunity of a lifetime seems too good to be true, but suddenly when there's a murder at her club, she realises it might be a good opportunity, and good timing to get out of town. Brilliant. Now, the next question. Who is your favourite character in the book and why? But it can't be Lena, your main character. I think my favourite character um, is Will Goodman, who is um, the band leader of the band that, that, that play in the um, sort of fancy... Uh, nightclub that they have on board um he was just a lot of fun to write and um a bit of light relief amongst all the murdering yes yes definitely great one um can you describe your book using three words three words my goodness actually i think my publisher did this it was like murder martinis uh jazz oh yes (laughs) perfect what was your favorite food and drink when you were writing this book Oh, I mean, I write a lot in coffee shops, so coffee to drink. And I do like an almond croissant. So if I go to the coffee shop first thing in the morning to try and get my word count down, that's usually what I get. A large cappuccino and an almond croissant. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And the final question, what's been the best moment so far in your writing career? Oh, I do know this one. So um, this lovely city was shortlisted for the RSL Ondaatje Prize last year and they made like a little animation um of a scene from the book and i was just blown away by that oh wonderful that's something really memorable well louise hare whose latest book is miss aldridge regrets thanks for joining me today thank you now on to the last three book reviews and the first one coming up is into the dark by fiona cummins we've had fiona on before she's such an accomplished author Always just books that are slightly unsettling. Uh, This is her best yet. I'm not just saying it. I thought it had the the twists and turns that you want. Uh, You know, it starts out in one way, zips about a lot. You You need a strong coffee to sort of follow it. It's brilliant. Great fun. Great, great plot. Excellent. So here is the blurb. One morning, Julianne arrives for her weekly run with best friend Piper Holden to discover an eerie scene. The radio is playing, phones are charging on the worktop, the cars are in the garage, but the family is gone. In 15-year-old Reva's bedroom, scrawled across the mirror in blood, are three words, make them stop. What happens next? What happens next is it's a very good story. Let's do the first sentence. Tuesday morning, the day the Holdens disappeared. The wind sounded like the dead had risen, climbing out of their graves and drumming their bones against the roof. 
Julianne Hillier stood on her doorstep and watched the lighthouse beacon dance across the churn of the waves before it swept skywards and was lost to the breaking day. As I say, best yet, less dark, I suppose, than some of her other books, but more compelling. Just a great, twisty, crimey, thrillery read. There you go. You see, you come to me for the technical speed, don't you? I'm sorry. It's a good book. There we are. Now, the next one. Yes, uh, The Winter Ghost, Kate Moss. Kate was talking about this very book and I went in the library to pick up another book and this was sitting there like, yes, you're coming home with me and I'm going to read you. Let's read the blurb. France, 1928. It is 10 years since the Great War ended, but Freddie Watson is still haunted by the loss of his beloved brother. Driving through the foothills of the Pyrenees, his car spins off the road in a snowstorm. He takes refuge in an isolated village and there meets the captivating Fabrisa. They spend the night talking of love and loss and war. By daybreak, Fabrisa has vanished and Freddy has discovered that he alone holds the key to an ancient mystery, one which leads him deep into the mountains and to a cave that conceals a shocking secret. Right, let's go to first sentence. He walked like a man recently returned to the world. Every step was careful, deliberate. Every step to be relished. I thought it was... I mean, Kate had said that it's one of her easier to read books to get into if you haven't read her other books and I would absolutely agree it's very evocative um, it's not a long read it's easy to get into it's just a beautiful book I enjoyed it a lot and definitely ready to move on to others of Kate she's um, such a talented author and I thought it was a, a great story so yes that's The Winter Ghost by Kate Moss it has the stamp of approval and the last one which I mentioned at the beginning is one particularly with Christmas coming up I think this would be a great gift to younger readers I mean I suppose <laughs> I do suppose if you, a child is expecting an Xbox for Christmas and you give them a rewriting of Persuasion <laughs> they might not might not be such a fan, but if you're looking for an extra present or they've specifically asked for a book, then this could be it. And there's a few in the series, actually. They do, um, I think, all of Jane Austen's books or her main ones uh, that I can see. And this is, yeah, this is over 200 pages, but it's big text, small pages, about 230 pages. And this is Persuasion, so I don't need to tell you about it, but what makes it different? Well, shall I read the blurb? OK, the blurb. When she was just 19, Anne Elliot followed the wishes of her father and turned down the proposal of the man she loved, a naval officer called Frederick Wentworth. Years later, Captain Wentworth returns from his time at sea and Anne dares to hope that their paths might cross once more. But the course of true love is bumpy at best. Will Anne and Frederick ever be reunited? Uh, first sentence, chapter one. Elizabeth, my dear, we must economise, Sir Walter Elliot said gloomily to his favourite daughter. He waved a hand at the pile of bills on his desk. Um, so, as I say, I thought this made it easier to read. There's still a lot to read. It's not a picture book. Yes, there are illustrations, but there's 200 pages of words. So I'm not saying to buy it for a five-year-old. But I think if you've got someone, it's not certainly not 
what is it mid-grade I don't know have a look at it see what you think judge it it depends on the sort of reading age of of the child but also if you haven't read the classics and you think well I'm a bit put off where do I start this is a great way you get the joyful gist of the story and more um, but it's just it's just easier so particularly if you know you haven't got a lot of time. You haven't got a lot of time to really focus and get into the story. Maybe you're put off by the language. This is a, just a great way to to know the story, to know what what was going on, um, and and what happened to the characters. So yes, there we go. So you've had you've had quite a lot today. We've had Desert Star by Michael Connolly, and Michael very kindly came on to talk to us about that book. Louise Hare came on to answer five questions in five minutes about her latest book, Miss. Aldridge Regrets. I've also reviewed Into the Dark by Fiona Cummins, The Winter Ghost by Kate Moss and Persuasion, Jane Austen's Persuasion, with what it says here, Witty Words by Narinda Darmy and illustrated by Eglantine Quillmans. That is your lot, but before you go, I have to say some huge thank yous. I really do. I'm going to read out these wonderful reviews because honestly, it just means so much. When I get a little email notification that someone's left me a review, I'm like, oh my goodness, thank you. It makes it makes the day a happy day. I need to thank Book Lover 1948, who wrote, love this podcast so much, but it keeps making me buy more books and my shelves are full and my bank account is empty. But they gave me five stars. I'm very grateful. Yes, I think I'm in the same position, to be honest. Uh, You can't say that I don't have a book to read. I have many, many books, but they're all just wonderful. I mean, we just love good stories, don't we? So thank you so much for that. And then also I need to thank Witty Bishop for their review. Listen to this. Discovered this podcast thanks to TikTok and I'm loving it. 10 out of 10 recommend. Thank you so much, Witty Bishop. Now, part of me is thinking I read that one out in the last episode. But anyway, it's so good. I'm reading it again. And then there is one more review that I also need to thank so very much. Listen to this. This is from Penny Pempkins. Thank you so much. A warm, engaging, aspiring podcast. I started listening to this podcast, having missed hearing the host voice on Dumpty Tum. Wonderful discovery. And I'm now ploughing through books with so much relish and love all the recommendations. That is so kind, honestly. Thank you all so much. That is just amazing. You're all amazing. And from one amazing thing to another amazing thing, we need to go to the podcast Facebook group. So head to Facebook, type in Quick Book Reviews and you will find us there. So who is reading what? Derek has two on the go. He's reading Richard Herring's Can I Have My Ball Back? And he's listening to the latest Time Police book by Jodie Taylor. Yes, I'm listening to that too, Derek. So there we go. Um, Johan's just about to start reading Freckles by Cecilia Hearn and she's looking forward to that. Natalie is reading Seeing Other People by Mike Gale and she's really enjoying it. Sue has just got stuck into The Enigma of Room 622. That's by Joel Dicker. And she's also listening to About Time by Jodie Taylor. There we go. Claire is... No, Claire is needing to finish Careless by Kirsty Capes and The Girl I used to be by Debbie Howes and then she needs to continue with the clinic by Sally Ann Martin. Claire is a busy reader. Uh, Cindy is finishing Miss Benson's Beetle. Oh, I love that book. And perhaps starting on The Last House of Needless Street. Yeah, that's another great one. And there was some discussion about how people liked 
Miss Benson's Beatles we certainly did. Leslie is reading On Hampstead Heath by Marika Cobbold, or she's probably reading that one, so she's got some decisions to make. Nancy is reading Bleeding Heart Yard by Ellie Griffiths, and she's loving it. Laurie is reading The Edge of Nowhere, which is for the first in a four-book mystery series by Elizabeth George. I didn't know she... Elizabeth George had written that book so there you go she's only a few chapters in and likes it so far Pat has just started the Copenhagen trilogy she's finding it rather dark but she's keeping reading well done Pat uh, Jacqueline is uh, listening to The Whole Truth by Cara Hunter and she started reading Bambara by L.J. Ross that reminds me I need to get Louise L.J. Ross on the podcast Nick is reading That Bone Set a Woman by Francis Quinn Excellent. We had Francis on the podcast as well. Rob is halfway through the Paul Merton book, Only When I Laugh, but also his Terry Pratchett bio had arrived that morning, so he's torn with what to read. Heidi's reading Watching You by Lisa Jewell. And Deirdre has just finished Two Women in Rome by Elizabeth Buchan and found it very enjoyable. And that is it. I hope all's well with you. Sorry for all the talk this week. These episodes just get longer and longer, don't they? Anyway, I'm off. I'm off to get more raisins out of my granola and to read more books because I've got some great books to talk to you about next week. Great authors. Can't wait. So just look after yourselves and I'll see you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.